listening to Cherokee Hills Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about CHBC or ways to get involved, visit chbcok.info. I don't know about you, but I needed that. I needed that. You know, when I, when I played football, I, I was not ever in a position where I played where someone had to lose their grip on me. I wasn't a running back. I wasn't a receiver. I wasn't somebody who ran from somebody. I was the guy trying to get somebody. And I, I can't even explain to you the frustration when you think you have somebody and you lose your grip on them. Come on, you're way ahead of me now. You know what I'm saying? And I was just thinking, as we were worshiping together right there, I thought, how frustrating must it be for the enemy when he thinks he has his grip on somebody? (laughs) You're not with me right now. You need to wake up a little bit. I said, the enemy, how frustrating must it be when he thinks he has his grip, his claws sunk into somebody, and then all of a sudden Jesus says, no, and that grip is lost. And he can never grab them ever again. How about that, church? And maybe that excites me a lot because of what we've seen this. And we've seen teenagers saved at camp. We've seen kids saved at kids camp. We've seen preteens saved at preteen camp just this last week. We have seen salvation. I'm just, how frustrating must summertime be for the enemy in the state of Oklahoma? How frustrating it must be for the enemy when he's trying to attack Cherokee Hills Baptist Church, when all these people, he just keeps losing grip. And I'm telling you, that'll make you sing. I I know some of you think, well, we sing that song all the time. It's getting old. Maybe you guys need to look for a new song. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll look for a new song. You look for a new heart and we'll meet somewhere in the middle. How about that? I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to talk about something that's going to seem a bit out of pocket today, but will make perfect sense, hopefully, in the end. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I want you to find verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. A very young church in Thessalonica, full of brand new, I mean brand new believers, Can you imagine starting a church with just brand new believers, people who have just come to understand, come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Paul has invested personally into these new believers, and now this tiny gathering of new souls, saved by grace, are coming together to start this church. And so for the next four chapters, five chapters that we get to see in 1 Thessalonians, It's the groundwork for this church, and it's full of all kinds of powerful truth in those five chapters, continuing on in the second Thessalonians. But this is the foundation of a brand new church. These are new believers. They've not been discipled. They've not been very long under the teaching, but they have been saved, and they have started their walk. If you're with me, say, I am. And I find it interesting, I find it interesting that Paul would take this turn in verse 13 of chapter 4 
And if you've got a heading there, it's going to say something like the coming of the Lord. Because you would think that if, if I was strategizing this plan and I had a church full of brand new believers, there are certain foundational truths that I would hammer over and over and over and over again. But it had not occurred to me that the second coming would be one of those basic foundational truths. To me, that was something more advanced. It was something to come later on. But he starts it off in their foundation. Look at what it says right here in verse 13. He says, brothers, this is that indication, new believers. These are people who are of the family. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. He says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. How powerful is that? These are some powerful truths, foundational truths in the lives of new believers. First, we'll pick it up here in a minute, but he says this. He says, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of the men who have no hope. What he's saying here, he's establishing powerful truth. Everything in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again. He says, now listen, one of the foundational things that you need to understand as we look at this thing called death is that death does not affect us the way it affects other people. Because we have this living hope that after we die, after these bodies go on, listen, he doesn't even call it death. What does he call it? He calls it falling asleep, that there will be a time when you fall asleep. And then the indication of falling asleep is that after you fall asleep, what's going to happen? You're going to wake up. I said, you're going to wake up. And he says, the indication for you is not that you're just going to wake up into nothingness. The indication is that when you wake up, when you fall asleep in this world, there is a waking up into a new world to be with the Lord forever. Isn't that good? He says, so don't grieve death like the rest of the world grieves death. Man, it's going to be sad when we have to say goodbye to somebody. It's sad when we have to celebrate a life that's no longer physically in our presence. He says, but you don't look at it that way. You look at it with new eyes that there is this eternity that we all get to be in. And one day we won't have to say goodbye. One way we won't have to worry about sin and sickness and separation. One day we'll be together forever. So don't look at it like the world because the world gets broken over death because it's a finality to them. He said, but we don't do that. If you're with me, say, I am. He says, we don't do that because we have hope. They don't. He says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And he's saying this, that those people, listen, in that great time that he's about to speak of, those people who have died, there will be a great reunion time. And you're going to find out that reunion time is going to be in the sky. That's a great spot. Talk about a destination reunion. Come on, church. That's awesome. But he says this, verse 15, he says, According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. Here it is. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That's a good place for an amen right there. That's not for me. That's for the Lord right there. That's a good place for an amen. amen. He says, after that, After that still, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds, come on, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And then he says this, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, this is powerful. He says, now, listen, I'm telling you about death, why it shouldn't affect you the way it used to affect you, because these powerful truths, Jesus overcoming death, eternity in our hands. He goes, but there will be a time. 
Can you imagine the excitement when he starts speaking these truths to these new believers? There will be a time where there will be a people who will not even have to taste or feel the sting of death. Oh, man, I hope I'm in that group. I, I don't fear death. I feel the, I fear the process or the how. You know what I'm saying? But how awesome would it be to be going through your day, doing what you do, and all of a sudden you hear a loud command that nobody misses, followed by a trumpet sound that nobody misses. And all of a sudden that sky opens up and there is Jesus. Holy cow, listen, I hope on that particular day that whatever ministry I'm doing, I hope on whatever particular that is, I hope I'm by the biggest cemetery on the planet. Because that's going to be incredible. In fact, I hope I have a lot of friends who are cremated because they're going to all come together. Everybody, all the dead in Christ will rise. All those who are alive at the same instantaneous moment will meet them in the air. We will have this destination reunion, folks, and it's going to be powerful. Listen, that's not something that is tucked away in a storybook to make a child feel better. Listen, that's in the holy word of God. This is a promise. There will be a generation. There will be some who get to see the Lord and never even have to experience death. And he says this. He says he gives it all away. Now, hold on. I, I can tell you're not real excited. So let me, let me give you some things that might help you be excited this morning about the possible second coming of Jesus and why I believe that it's not far-fetched, that it's soon. I'm not going to give you dates and times that would make me a heretic, but I'll give you something to get excited about. Some of the great prophecies about Israel and about God's people could only happen in the time and place that we live in now, in the modern era. In fact, probably the greatest one that I have seen is that the Bible speaks in Amos 9, 14, and 15. You want to write those down so you can check them out later. In Isaiah eleven twelve, 12, the Bible speaks very candidly and specifically that there will be a time where great Israel will become a nation. It will become a nation in the world, recognized by the world as a home place for the people of God. And guess what happened? 1948, May 14th, was the announced day that Israel would become a nation. That day when it happened, this is more prophecy, it's prophecy upon prophecy. When that happened, there were about 600,000 people, Jews, in that new homeland. And they were destitute and they were poor. Fast forward to another prophecy where God says that he's going to restore God's people back to Israel. He's going to call them home from all over the four corners of the globe. Started out with 600,000. Listen, in the last 120 years, okay, as they were tracing all of these things, as they're looking back and they're looking at people before they came a nation coming in right into now, they've had 3.5 million people seeking the homeland of Israel, all Jews. Just this last year, just this last year, they had 30,000 brand new Jewish immigrants that joined Israel. Let me tell you something, folks. God is calling his people home. Now, what you have to understand, the miraculous part of all of this is that Israel, the whole country of Israel, is the size of New Jersey. 
And so where they're going to put all of these people, what are they going to do? It's all in the hands of God, but it's happening. And now they are one of the most prosperous nations in the world, destitute and poor, but fulfilling the prophecy that they would become an eye to the world, that they would become a light to the world, that they would be be restored to their place is beautiful. If you're with me, say, I am. If you look back at other end time statements in the scriptures, you'll find Matthew chapter 24 walks through all the end times things, what's going to happen. You see things lighten up all around us. One of the ones that has been most noted for me this weekend that spoke to my heart very loudly is the Bible says that in latter times, the love of most will grow cold. Right now, you can probably think of at least 10 examples in your heart and mind where the world is showing us that the hearts of most have grown cold. When you look at the increase of abuse in every category across the world, when you look at senseless murder across just our country, you see that the love of most is growing cold. If you're with me, say I am. These are areas and these are statistics that are not improving, but every negative statistic that you can can that points towards evil, listen, it's not getting better, folks. It's getting worse. If you're with me, say I am. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus calls that shot. Just for fun sometime this week, you ought to jump on the website for the United States Geological Survey and start looking at the increase in earthquakes over the last 100 years. When you start looking at those stats, you see that the Lord's promise that earthquakes were going to increase is actually happening. It's not something that's far-fetched. It's not something that's far away. Listen, church, it's very near. If you're with me, say, I am. It's incredible to see. In fact, I can remember a time where I had never experienced an earthquake in Oklahoma. Except for the ones they told me about happened near Mears. I didn't know anything about the earth shaking. But I've actually felt it and experienced it. And we're getting more and more activity. How many of you know it? If you're with me, say I am. So all these things that the Lord's talking about, all of these prophecies, listen, they are spinning towards a certainty that Jesus is coming soon. And listen, that's not something to be fearful about. That's something to be excited about. Because what this does, it gives us confidence in everything else that God has said. And when we are as believers confident in everything that God has said, we will trust everything that he says. And when we trust everything that he says, we will follow him urgently. We'll follow him urgently. And we'll do what he's called us to do with a sense of urgency that is powerful and strong. And so not fear. This is excitement to me. And so I think that's, that's what I asked myself as I'm looking and I'm reading and I'm studying all these things. I think, okay, what, what, was, what was Paul's game here? I think the first thing was he wanted to show a picture that the second coming begins with the first coming, which begins with the gospel of Jesus. That everything about him coming again begins with the gospel. Because this is a, a message to encourage believers, but listen, it's an urgency to reach out to those who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to share the gospel with people. Because listen, it may not be at the end of their life that they meet God. It might be sooner than that. If you're with me, say, I am. And so it begins with the gospel. And then we see this certainty. We know that this is going to happen. And then we, we live in this powerful truth that each day that passes, we are another day closer I don't don't think you understand. (laughs) Let me try to put it in human terms. In December, my family and I are going on a cruise. Yeah, we are. I've never been on a cruise, but I've heard about them. Heard about them for years. 
now it's on my schedule. And it's going to happen. And so a year ago or so, when we started looking at this thing, it seemed so far off. You're with me? Say, I am. <laughs> but now it's August. And I got an app on my phone that tells me every day that we get closer. And I'm telling you, every day I pop on that app just to mark another day off. Come on, if you're with me, church, say I am. Listen, there's an excitement as I get closer to the day that fills me up on the inside, that gets me ready for what is about to come. Listen, that was the message. This is certain. Paul said, this is certain. This is going to come. So live each day in that urgency. Live each day in that moment. But then the question becomes, so how do we live? What do we do knowing that it's a certainty, knowing that this is outlaid by the gospel? This is what the gospel was the first coming. The second coming is coming. It's certain. So, so now that it's a day closer every day, how does it affect the way that we live? And it's the things that we talk about a lot here. There should be an urgency in the way that we read the word. An urgency in the commitment that we make to being in the word every single day. An urgency in prayer to make sure that we're praying every single day. And an urgency that as we read and pray... We become obedient to whatever God says. We want to get to a place, listen to me, church, where we hear the voice of God clearly and we know that it's not our voice, we know it's not somebody else's voice, but we know that it's his voice. And when we know that it's his voice, we will obey confidently. If you're with me, say, I am. We will obey confidently. In this church, this is what we call being Christ-led and body engaged. You walk with God, you hear from God. He gives you a command, you obey, you obey it. Christ-led, body engaged. If you're with me, say I am. There's an urgency in that. There's an urgency in our relationships. An urgency in our relationships with our family and our intentionality. We talked about that a couple of Sundays ago in making sure that our family is being led spiritually in the right way because one day we won't be here, remember that? One day we won't be here to fix everything that's going to be left in their hands and they need to know that it's the Lord who guides them. If you're with me, say I am. It's making sure that people in our family know Jesus. I had a beautiful, beautiful moment this week at camp as a father of some of our kids was back home praying for their children who didn't know the Lord. We got to give them the report that both of their children who were at camp this week Gave their hearts to Jesus. What I love from the tech, go ahead, that's a good hand clap moment. And you'll hear more of this story. As we do baptisms, you'll find out the names and the places and all that. But what I loved in the, in the, in the messages that I got from this parent was the urgency. I want to see my kids, this is almost a quote, I want to see my kids' name in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. It's a father and a mother burdened. Because they want their children saved. There's an urgency that comes. And I think knowing that not just death is the thing that can move us to the next part of eternity, but it's, it's life that we could see him come again. And it could be tomorrow. It could be today. It could be in the next few moments. If you're with me, say, I am. And so an urgency in sharing the gospel and discipling our families. An urgency with our friendships. An urgency with our friendships. Some of the most dangerous places in our lives can be our friendships. Because we value our friendships so much, it's hard for us to say the hard things. I said it's hard for us to say the hard things. And listen, there's a brotherhood and a sisterhood that exists, and I love the community that we have. We have lots of friendships in our church. Man, we are a sweet community. I love it. God has blessed us. But it should never become so sweet that we can't tell each other hard truths and hard things. 
If I see a brother in trouble, I need to be able to call it out. If I see a sister in trouble, we need to be able to have people who can call that out. If you're with me, say, I am. Who aren't afraid because of their relations. This is an urgency. If we see somebody not serious about the mission, not serious about where we're going, somebody in the group ought to speak up. If you're with me, say, I am. That's powerful truth. That's the urgency that Paul speaks of is that we've got one mission in common. All of us need to be going the same direction, Christ-led, body-engaged. It's powerful. It's right there in the book. But then there's an urgency for the lost that we don't know. An urgency for trying to figure out ways to engage a community that's full of lost people but have no connection to us and no connection to the church. And seeing how God might be able to do that. That's why we do the things that we do. That's why we pray for people to, for God to move in people's hearts to create ministry. If you're with me, say, I am. And so here's some application to all this. A lot of things have been urgent, just urgent on my heart as I lead into a brand new season of life for me in ministry. The camp that I preached at this last week was the last camp that I'll preach for at least a year. Because God called me to devote myself to be nothing but a pastor in the War Acres community right here at Cherokee Hills Baptist Church. And so my mind has been spinning with, God, where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? What is this season for? What does it look like? How long is it going to last? Maybe it's not a year. Maybe it's longer. God, what is all these? And all these things begin to flood into my heart and my mind. And so I begin to think, okay, so now God has given us this surplus of people who love Jesus and love each other. And so we've got leadership people. God is bringing us people from all the four corners of the state, it seems like, just giving us people that are excellent, that are urgent in their walk with God. So what what do we do? Where we go? And so I start thinking, okay, it's time to get some people who aren't plugged in, plugged in. And so how does somebody do that? And so we start looking at the foundational ministries of our church. And God has blessed us with great foundational ministries. Now, what I mean by foundational ministries, God's given us a great children's ministry. Great children's ministry. We have great preschool. We have great children. That ministry runs preschool all the way to fifth grade. Within that is a preteen ministry. God is doing some incredible work. We've seen salvation. We've seen recommitment. We've seen a devotion to the word. We've seen all kinds of supernatural things happen within those ministries just in the last year or so. It's been incredible to see that. We have great student ministry. Okay, students, I'm going to set you up one more time. We have great student ministry. Oh, boy. Hey, keen over in the bottom of my big brown heart. I'm going to apologize to you right now. You deserve better than that. I'm going to give them one more chance, though, because they were probably sleeping, not awake, because they still have Falls Creek hangover. So we have great student ministry. There we go. There we go. Y'all got to fix that. Sixth grade all the way through 12th grade. We've got a ministry that's growing, that's thriving. God's doing some incredible work there. We have great college ministry. God calls one of our own out from youth ministry to start college ministry. Best thing, he does it for free. (laughs) Finance team just applauded right there. I appreciate that. (laughs) And then we've got a young professionals group that is growing and thriving. God has given them a heart and a vision and just a powerful time and season in that ministry's life. We've got young Marys with our Oasis class that's growing and thriving. We've got the young-ish Marys with our life. You like that, young-ish? <laughs> young-ish Marys with our life class. And so you keep on going through through our median adults and all the way through to our chronologically superior adults, right? We've got, <laughs> we've got all of these different areas. Yeah, they like that. You like that, didn't you? Yeah, I just won some hearts right there. Students, learn, all right? 
And so we've got all these ministries from birth all the way till new life. Did you like that one too? Did you like that one too? All the way through. And listen, here's what I love. There are opportunities within every single one of those ministries for anyone to get involved in. If God has called you to serve somehow, and listen, I believe he's called all of us to serve somehow. The whole point of walking with God is to know who God made you to be and what he made you to do and be it and do it. Did you hear that? Did you hear it? Pretty simple. When you walk with God, you know who he's called you to be. And you know the gifts, talents, abilities, all the things we talk about all the time here. So that you can do it. You can be it and you can do it. And you go to work. There's an opportunity for everybody to get involved. And then here's what I love about where we've been in the last five years. Here's what I love. Is that we started something five years ago that said to be Christ-led and body-engaged. That's where that language came from. And from that, what we've seen is God birthed ministries from our church that are reaching people in powerful ways. You've got our cherished ministry started by a family that God moved in their hearts and gave them a heart for vulnerable children. And they have created this ministry. God used them to create a ministry that partners with 12 different ministries across our city. Across our city. That help with foster care. That help with human trafficking. That help with all kinds of things. Where we deal with prevention, intervention, and restoration. Where we're trying to get into the hearts and families of these. And listen, it is blowing up. Just this last week, we had an event. We had almost 500 people that came through as we served our community at Putnam City High School. Are you kidding me? That's a vision that God put in somebody's heart and a family's heart. And we get to celebrate that. Praise God. You have people like Fixers of Men, Larry Pyle, the ministry that God put on his heart. He's reaching communities and families through a ministry that God gave him a vision for in repairing and fixing things. And lives are being changed because of that. If you're with me, say, I am. Fan Club was, another, was one of those where God moves in the hearts of people because they're walking with God. He gives them a vision that seems impossible, but he puts all the pieces together and boom, lives are being changed. And here's what I would tell you, church. If, there's, if you're asking yourself, how can I get involved? Or if you're sitting on the sidelines saying, I just don't know a place where I can get involved. I don't feel like I'm being used. You just don't know. And I would love, any one of our pastors will get you connected to serve in any way that you're gifted, any way that God has created you to be used in the life and the body of church. If you're with me, say, I am. And I'll tell you this. You tell me. You send me an email, smoke signal, whatever you got, I'll receive it. If a pastor, any one of our pastors, looks you in the eye and says, you know what, I really don't have anything for you, don't really have a place for you to serve, you let me know if you ever get that response, and then be ready to help somebody move, (laughs) because we don't do that here. If God's called you, we have a place for you. If the ministry doesn't exist, let's create one under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If you're with me, say, I am. No excuse in this church to be on the sideline. For more information about Cherokee Hills Baptist Church, visit us online at chbcok.com.